0: We are having a, a sermon trio this morning um, and as its name suggests there won't be one sermon that's this long we've actually been, uh, got three, three people sharing um, and um, so uh, we're going to have uh, our wonderful elder Rhonda come and share with us very shortly and then um, our brother David is going to share his uh, experiences and, uh, and then, I'll, then I will close um, and our, our topic for our sermon trio today um, The pastors gave us something really nice and easy to deal with Forgiveness So that shouldn't be too hard at all So um, I'm going to hand over to, uh, to Rhonda now to, uh, to start us off, all yours
1: Let me just pray Heavenly Father we just come before you this morning And um, we just thank you that you are the great forgiver And um, we just give this time to you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the way that you speak in and through us, through your word and your spirit and through each other. Thank you. Amen. So um, the scripture I've chosen um, is um, from Acts 22. And it is Paul's account of his extraordinary encounter with Jesus that occurred at the height of him persecuting the church. That is Jesus. Um, and um, so I chose the scripture for today because although it's not specifically about forgiveness, in that it doesn't mention the word forgiveness, to me it is about how God meets us where we're at, can flip our lives and our understanding about Him upside down to find wholeness, restoration. And even be an instrument for his good purposes, no matter what our background is, when we choose to follow him. So Paul's extraordinary conversion and ministry is a story that speaks so clearly to me about the restoration of forgiveness. So I'll just read that now. Um, So reading from uh, verse 3, Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia. But brought up in this city, I studied under Camille and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the, this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished About noon as I came near Damascus suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you Lord? I asked I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting he replied My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told what you have... Sorry, there you'll be told all that you have... My my eyes can't see. And go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been... As, as all that has been assigned to you to do. Sorry, I'll get together in a minute. My companions led me by the hand in Damascus, into Damascus, because the brilliant light had blinded me. And a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your light, sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what waiting—what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised, wash away your sins, calling on his name. So you'll forgive me if I just read this, because otherwise I won't stay on track. When John asked me to be one of the trio to speak today, and the topic was to be on forgiveness, I immediately thought of Paul's conversion. But as I began to pray, though, I found that I could not speak about forgiveness without sharing my personal story. I believe this is what God wants me to share with you today. I was around the age of 40 when I met Jesus and become a Christian. I had no concept of God growing up, or up until just months prior to giving my life to Christ. I had 40 years of baggage for God to deal with. By baggage, I mean a lot of past pain and deep hurts, as well as consequences of poor choices. In giving my life to Christ, I understood I was forgiven, in part only as that was just the beginning of my journey to knowing our holy, just, all-loving and merciful personal God who cares about every detail of our lives. I had much to learn and it was going to be a long journey to my healing and wholeness. In giving my life and my heart to him, I told Jesus I wanted all of him. I had no idea of the journey that God had planned for me. This very, fir- the very first thing God impressed upon my heart was that if I was to experience all of Him, I had to learn to give Him my everything. I was forgiven, and now, therefore, I must also forgive. I couldn't be made whole while I harbored bitterness. He first wanted to heal me of a very painful hurt and injustice from my childhood. God met me just where I was at, harbouring hurt and resentment. He knew my heart and what I needed to learn. From around the age of about three or four years old, my teenage uncle who lived with us had begun to sexually abuse me. These horrible, horrible encounters went on for a number of years until my parents found out. This atrocious thing had a huge impact on how I saw myself growing up and then into adulthood. I felt ugly, unloved. I had very low self-esteem. I wanted to be invisible. And so I learned to wear the mask that said, I'm okay, as I struggled with wondering if I was ever loved. My talk is not about that today. I have shared this with you to demonstrate the enormity of what God was now asking me to do. When I gave my life to Jesus, I was overwhelmed with his love, that he could love me, this ugly person, this much. His love permeated my whole being and filled the empty void that was within me. He forgave me. He now wanted to... He now wanted to heal and restore me from all my pain and bitterness so that I could truly know him. And for this to happen, he simply said to me, forgive. And I responded with, no way, what? I really can't do that. But he wouldn't let that nagging in my heart go away. I was his and he wasn't going to let me go. God was gracious and patient as he gently allowed me to see that forgiveness is what will bring my healing. This was something that I really didn't know how to do and it was not within my strength to do. But I wanted to please God. I wanted to be close to him and I wanted to feel whole. So I was eventually able to say, "Okay, I want to please you, Lord, but I don't know what to do. As I couldn't take this to the person who did this to me, A, because he had now died, and B, I really didn't want to do that anyway. So I fell on my knees before God and prayed, Lord, I don't have the strength for this, but because I know you want me to, I can only verbalise verbalize this in prayer to you and trust in time I would be able to truly forgive in my heart. So the process began, and this was a very long and painful process. In fact, it was decades until I truly found peace and healing for that hurt. I had to learn to let go and let God. How does this relate to Paul's conversion? Well, Paul's story has always spoken to me of the power of forgiveness. If God would call a man like Saul, who persecuted and killed God's own people... And transform his life in the way he did And powerfully use him for God's glory to further his kingdom here on earth Then I would often reason with myself If God would forgive and restore Saul in such a dramatic way Then perhaps he would forgive me and love and restore me Paul's story has encouraged me on my journey And continues to encourage me with all his letters and teaching as I've grown in my faith. The more I trusted in God's goodness to me and understood the enormity of what God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit did and went through for me to receive his forgiveness, I was then able to allow his grace to flow in and through me to forgive. Sometimes the journey is a long one. We know God has the power to do anything and he can heal us in an instant but what will we learn about his character in that? He is all-powerful, but he prefers to work with us, in us, and through us, not over and around us. I would not have experienced his grace and mercy had he just healed me. I had so much to learn along the way. I am forgiven, I am loved, I am restored. And while I don't face the harsh life Paul was given I know that whatever pain and heartaches I may face, I know Jesus' presence, love and grace are always with me. We all have weaknesses and make mistakes. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God sees our heart. He wants us to be whole and restored and filled with his joy. He wants to forgive and bless us with his presence as we walk in a right relationship with him and with others. And when we remember God is holy and it cost him everything to bring us into a right relationship with him, we are now covered by Jesus' righteousness. How can we not bring our everything to him? He not only wants to forgive us, but he also wants us to forgive each other and sometimes we even need to forgive ourselves. Forgiveness is very important to God. In fact, every detail of our lives is important to God. And if it's important to him, then there is a reason. He loves us and wants us to be whole and walk closely with him. Forgiveness brings restoration. My life testifies to this. The change in me was to once be a person who hid behind the om-ok mask, striving to be a better person to win God's favour and to be liked and accepted by others in my strength alone. The person I am today is someone who seeks to please God simply because I know him and therefore I know how much he loves me and I know his presence lives in me. Only God has the power to forgive our sins and restore us so that we can live in a right relationship with him. I know God has changed me. My life no longer resembles the life I once led. He has also been so gracious as to use me in ways I never dreamt of. He is a good, gracious and merciful God. So may I encourage you, dear friends, If God's Spirit is speaking to you right now for any hurts, resentment or unforgiveness you may be holding on to, I urge you to give it to God today. Seek his forgiveness and if appropriate, speak to the person with whom you need to forgive or ask for forgiveness. And be blessed as you grow in your Christian journey. God bless you all. Thank you.
0: Thanks Rhonda. Now, going to ask David to come up and share a bit of his story uh, with us as well. So all, all right, Rhonda, thank
2: you. That's a hard act to follow, eh? <laughs> I'm going to start off with one, one line from the um, Lord's Prayer. And it says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's the hardest lesson I've had to learn. I agree with Rhonda on that. I grew up from a really violent family. Um, my mother was the most abusive person you could ever imagine she was violent angry and also I was an Ill- illegitimate child she had an affair while my father was away and that's how they treated me they called me a bastard I'm sorry to say that but that's exactly what I have to say it um, all my life I was brought up with this I didn't know what it meant even I'd walk into a room and my mother would be there and she'd go into a violent rage and she'd say, bastard, bastard, bastard. And then she'd start hitting me and punching. And when she hit, you saw stars, your knees gave way. And this was how I was brought up. And I, I, I learned to hate, honestly. Hate was in me. I just And anger, I became a very angry person. I couldn't understand love. <laughs> it didn't exist. Then, anyway, this is how it was for 17 years. Then I joined the army. 18 months after that, I met my beautiful wife. Now, I thought, you better find out what you're getting into. So I took her home to meet my mother. <laughs> I'm just telling you this to let you know an example. You can ask her later. Uh, we got off the train at West Ride. Now, that's about 400 metres away from the station. And you can hear my mother screaming at the children. Now, poor old Beverly, <laughs> she still says to this day, if I knew that's where it was, I wouldn't have gone down there. <laughs> She did, and anyway, we have been married 61 years, thank the Lord. Um, you know, two years later, we had a little beautiful baby. And then we thought, I hadn't had any religion in my life, nothing. There was no Bible, no talk about God, nothing. And I thought, well, I'd better do something about this child and give it a chance that I never had. I started going to church, and I tried to be a Christian. Oh, yeah, I wanted to be good, you know. But I wasn't happy. I really wasn't happy. I still had this hate in my heart. Now, I'm going to tell you, 21 years ago, I realised this, and I was living in Queensland, and I thought, I've got to fix this, Lord. Lord. God spoke to me, I'm sure he did. I flew down to Sydney. I went to the graveyard where my mother was buried, and I stood there and said, Mum, I don't hate you anymore. I forgive you. Now, that was a moment in my life, I think I really became a Christian. Because you cannot love if you don't give love back, and and, and you, you look. It's most. Im-, I'm sorry. I get. I have ADHD, and I have trouble thinking as I go along. So if I stumble, please forgive me. Um, sorry. This this gets me when I do this every time. Um, you know, you've got to sort of. <laughs> it's just. I can't explain how I felt until I did that. It was just, I was trying to be something I wasn't. You cannot be something you, you can't be what you're not. You've got to fully give your love to God. And I, I, I'll have to finish now, but I'll, I'll finish with this. If, if you forgive, forgiveness will flow through to you. And once you get that, you've got peace in your mind and and. and Life becomes a better rose, as I can tell you. Thank you. That's it. Thank you.
0: Thanks, David. That's um, really, really hard um, story to share, I'm sure, but uh, we, we certainly benefited uh, from that. Got to put the goggles on. It's interesting how these sermon trios work. The three of us are given a topic, and we prepare independent of each other. And I can only describe it as one of those God moments when these, they sort of come together with links between them. Uh, the differences and the similarities between Rhonda and David's stories um, make them unique but share a commonality uh, of God's faithfulness uh, in forgiveness and his teaching of us about forgiveness. And it's interesting that David shared from the, uh, the Lord's Prayer well I I too have been pondering the Lord's Prayer in recent days and specifically the correlation between the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 as I was reading these two passages I could see certain things that, that lined up our Father who art in heaven the Lord is my shepherd give us this day our daily bread lots of stuff about tables and goodness and cups that are too small lead us not into temptation walking through the valley of the shadow of death there's a couple of points on why those ones link up scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death temptation is not sin it's only a shadow and the second one is if my bit of advice to you is if you find that you are walking through the valley of shadow of death don't stop, keep walking you'll get to the other side of it the temptation will pass deliver us from evil I will fear no evil then we've got all the little bits at the end there for thine is the kingdom that's the house of the Lord power anointing my head with oil there's two sides to that firstly Samuel anointed David because God had given him the power and authority to identify to all Israel who would be their king and then David received that, that authority and power in the anointing the glory for his name's sake then the one that was really really difficult forever equals forever they're both in there then I got to forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins now I'm a bit stuck where where is forgive us our trespasses in Psalm 23 where does Psalm 23 mention forgiveness forgiveness everything else is there so it must just be hiding so to go on our search for forgiveness in psalm 23 we need to understand what david the former shepherd was meaning when he said the lord is my shepherd it occurs to me that as a generalization we may look at the lord's prayer and psalm 23 as kind of two sides of the one coin the lord's prayer we could interpret as being all about god and Psalm 23 all about me and that's not too big a stretch because if we look at it all of the us's give us, lead us etc only appear five times in the Lord's Prayer but similar first person identifiers I, me, my appear 17 times in Psalm 23 so I have a question when you think of Psalm 23, what picture comes into your mind? Is it this image of the lamb cradling, clean linen robe wearing, crook holding, tall handsome white man in a country populated by olive skinned Mediterranean sea dwellers? Or is it this scene of ordered chaos, sweaty shearers and often an uncooperative mob? I suggest that it's a little of both. And I say that because the author of the psalm knew what he was talking about. David was a shepherd. He chose his words with a clarity that can only come from personal experience. David fully understood the relationship between shepherd and sheep. He was well aware that he was not making a declaration of provision, position and promise of the future and well-being of the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd is one of the strongest statements of submission dependence and dedication that you will find in the Bible let me put it this way have you ever had an accountant an encounter with a young child and when you have asked or told them to do something and they respond with you're not the boss of me (laughs) well the Lord is my shepherd is David saying in no uncertain terms God is the boss of me just as the sheep says to its shepherd, David is saying to his Lord, I accept that you have ultimate responsibility for my security and well being. Nothing that I own is of any value to me, not even the wool on my back. My future is no longer mine to determine but yours. If you are in any doubt about who is the decision maker in the statement the Lord is my shepherd, come down to the sale yards on Tuesday and observe the process in all my sale days I'm yet to see a sheep look around and go I'll have that farmer thanks so that gives us a picture of submission to the authority of of God our shepherd how does that play out in terms of forgiveness I'm reminded of an old joke about a Sunday school teacher asking class what they needed to do in order to receive forgiveness from sin there was a bit of silence for a while so he asked again what do you need to do in order to receive forgiveness from sin and after another few moments of silence one little chap at the back of the room put his hand up and went ah uh, sin <laughs> to understand forgiveness we need to understand sin well I believe both concepts appear in verse 3 of Psalm 23 He restores my soul. What does this have to do with sin and forgiveness? This is where you're going to have to indulge me a little bit. Whenever I don't quite understand what it says in in English in the Bible, because it wasn't originally written that way, I go back and have a look at the original language. And so we'll have a look at the Hebrew words that are used for restores and soul. Restores is shub. Literally, to turn back, to turn away, often referring a returning to a starting point. And soul is nefesh. That's literally a breathing creature broadly used in a figurative sense to describe an inner person, their appetites, desires, purposes and goals. Now that I've just read that, I've realised that we've, we've actually got a, a trained former pastor in the place who knows Hebrew better than I do. Feeling a bit nervous now, David. I should have just told a story. Let's start with soul. What is our soul? What part does it play in our overall makeup? Scripture tells us that God is spirit and that we are made in the likeness of God. If God is spirit, then it follows we are spirit. Unlike God, we are bound to this earth for a time So he created a vehicle for us to navigate this world and we call it our bodies. So each of us can say, I am a spirit and I live in a body. That covers who we are and how we get around on the earth but not how we interact with our world and with each other. I believe that's where soul comes in. There is a consistency among biblical writers that our soul is a combination of our mind, emotion, conscience and will. It is not who we are, that is our spirit. But it is how we interpret ourselves and how we display ourselves to others. Our soul can think, feel and do many great and wonderful things. But it is also can also be the source of evil, big and small. When we extend a hand hand of care, when we show another that we love them, when we choose to lift our voice in songs of praise to God, it is our soul that drives these actions. Equally, when we sin, the intent to commit that sin is born in our mind, emotions, conscience and will, in our soul. So on our other word, restores. The turning away or returning to a starting point. I recently read a news article from some time ago, and I think it well illustrates what this word means. January 17, New York Sun. Train carrying propane derails in Queens. A train carrying thousands of gallons of propane gas derailed at a New York rail yard on Tuesday, prompting nearby businesses to evacuate the area. Officials said the train derailed around 9am when the operator was backing the 10-car freight train into Metropolitan Train Yard. Officials speculated that the train may have gone too far, causing one of the cars to slip off the tracks. One, two, three, four... OK, bit of overkill there, but that's all right. No leaks were reported from the car, which reportedly was holding some 30,000 gallons of propane... Meanwhile, 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 dozens of people were evacuated from nearby businesses and homes as the fire department and other city agencies worked to restore the train to the tracks. There's our word restore. Restore the train to the tracks. When the train goes off the tracks, it's kind of like it has failed to do what its maker intended for it, and it needs to be restored to the tracks when we sin we are failing to do as our maker intended and we need to be forgiven this picture of our soul being restored confirms that forgiveness is not a get out of jail free card but it is doing business with God just as David pointed out to us earlier from the Lord's Prayer forgive as we are forgived 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 spell check forgiven, forgive as we are forgiven if the Bible translators weren't concerned with being concise because by that stage the thing was already this thick they could have written verse 3 as he turns me around and turns me back from my wayward thoughts, feelings choices and desires and directs me in the right way to go and he does it all so my restoration will bring glory to him If we had enough time, I'd tell you how much I think the imagery of the comfort that derives from our shepherd's crook at rod and staff look a lot like railway tracks, but we don't have time for that, so let's sing instead. I'll invite the music team back up again and we'll we'll sing a, a final song for today.